five, which which is equally as long in in verses, but hopefully we can cruise through this. Uh, These are the longest two chapters in the book, and uh, here in Ephesians chapter five, uh, we ended last week, we were walking, we were talking about walking, Ephesians is about walking it out practically, all right, everyone say walk it out, um, and uh, in fact, we're going to, uh, I'll, I'll give you these things, you can write these these down, first, uh, Paul tells the Ephesians in chapter 4, verses 1 through 16, he tells us to walk in unity, number one, together, unity, second thing he does in uh, Ephesians 4, uh, to verse, uh, 4, 17 through chapter 5, verse 18, he tells us to walk in purity. Everyone say purity. All right. Thirdly, he tells us to walk in harmony, and that's Ephesians 5, 19 through chapter 6 through verse 9. Um, uh, and then in, lastly, the fourth one, he tells us to walk in victory. Everyone say victory. All right. And so... Tonight, uh, while we get going here, I need you to think in these terms tonight and uh, get your mind ready. Uh, and maybe, maybe Dan can attest to this. Everyone put on your thinking caps. Um, he, he taught for many years. It's, there you go. It's perfect. Put on your thinking caps tonight. Um, you need to think in these terms tonight. In chapter 5, we're going to talk a lot about this. You are the bride of Christ. You are the bride of Christ. And some of you men are like, I don't know, I don't know. You are the bride of Christ. And uh, Jesus Christ is the groom. And can I tell you this? He's coming back for a pure and spotless bride. And he's talking about his church. And as a bride, uh, I begin to think about this. As a bride, what, what do brides do before, they, before their wedding day? They get everything in order. Right? They get everything in order for the perfect day. They prepare themselves. I was thinking about this when me and Tristan uh, got married and, you know, I was young and I could eat whatever I wanted whenever I wanted at that point in my life. I miss those days. And, uh, but anyways, and so at that point though, I remember I was like, I'm going to be a little bit more attentive what I'm, what I'm eating so I can make sure that I fit in, in my tuxedo and and so I, I did a little bit of trim in there. I didn't really work out, but I had a metabolism that was super fast, so it didn't really matter too much for me at that point. Boy, Lord, would you bring that back in my life? Everyone says, yes, you know. <laughs> um, but I, I remember us getting everything ready for our wedding, and I remember Tristan, uh, you know, getting ready that day. I wasn't with her, but while she was getting ready, I know that she spent uh, t- lots of time getting her hair done perfectly getting her makeup just right and doing all that. Matter of fact, uh, that night when we got to our hotel room, um, I had to take all of the bobby pins that were in her hair, which numbered probably in the hundreds. And I spent hours, I felt like, just pulling bobby pin after bobby pin out of her, out of her hair. Um, but, and she smelled good, and everything was perfect on that day, and so too are we to be the church. We should be preparing ourselves for the second coming of Christ. We are the bride of Christ, and so, um, so we're going to look through the lens of a bride preparing for her wedding day. So here's the first, uh, first point, if you need a subheading, is this, walk in love and purity. Walk in love and purity. Verse, uh, uh, chapter 5, verse 1 says this, therefore be imitators 
of God as beloved children. And so we know what, if you see the word therefore in the Bible, you stop and say, what is it? What is it there for? Got to understand that. So, and, and, and so uh, we are told to forgive one another because God has forgiven us for Christ's sake, right? The Lord forgives us because of Christ. So in essence, we should forgive others when they do us wrong. Amen? That's being an imitator of the Lord. How the Lord sh has shown you mercy, you ought to give the same mercy to other people. That's a lot to ask. Uh, um, you know, uh, be imitators of God. Forgive like he does. Love like he does. Be long-suffering like he does. In other words, the same measure uh, he has given it to you, give it to others. That's loving your neighbor. You want to learn how to love your neighbor? Love your neighbor like Jesus loves you. Get as close to that as you can, and you, you will be doing great. So therefore is, is actually a continuation to the last uh, verse in chapter 4. They, this kind of runs together, but look at this. Second, second uh, verse says this. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Uh, a fragrant offering, or the King James Version says, a sweet-smelling savor. And that refers to Leviticus chapter 1 through 5, and it talks about uh, there we see the burnt offering. There's, there's five different offerings, but there we see the burnt offering and the peace offering. And, and they're all called sweet or fragrant. How many like the smell of barbecue? When you go by a good barbecue place, you turn your head, right? I do. I smell what's going on over there, right? And, and so, and that's what the Lord is talking about, this sweet fragrance that's coming from a sacrifice. And the, the burnt offering, uh, here's the thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you the difference between these. The burnt offering could be many sizes not because of the offering, but because of those offering it. Sometimes when I come before the Lord and I need him to help me, I need him to cover a big sin or a big problem that I have. Sometimes I just need a little bit of help. And everyone's got different scenarios and different situations in their life. But can I tell you, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ covers them all. Big, small, doesn't matter. And the burnt offering was this. It was the atonement for their sin covered them the burnt offering so the peace offering is based upon the burnt offering it's based on God's satisfaction with the burnt offering catch that so the Lord's satisfaction with the burnt offering is determining on how the peace offering is is to be taken if we if we would enjoy Christ as peace in practical daily way we must first take him as uh, our burnt offering to satisfy God. Or what are you saying there? We have to know Jesus Christ before we can understand peace, the peace of God. Okay? You'll never know the peace of God until you understand the grace of God. I'm going to keep beating that like a dead horse. You'll never understand the peace of God until you, you don't have peace in your life. Check and make sure that you're following and you're, you're understanding what God's grace is in your life. Again, the peace of God is dependent on the grace of Jesus Christ. So, so too, when you give up your rights, just like Jesus did, by walking in love, it's a sweet, fragrant smell to the Father. When we say, hey, Lord, I'm giving myself to you, a living sacrifice. Here I am, Lord, this is me. The Lord looks at that and goes, ah, that smells good. 
right? Doesn't smell like the boys' dorm at camp, all right? I can tell you, there's not a sweet fragrance coming from the boys' room at camp. Verse 3 says this, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. So it, man, I like Paul. He just like, here, I'm going to give you a little bit of sweet. Nah, and we're going to just throw it on you real fast here. Proverbs 6, 32 says this. He who commits adultery lacks sense. That's pretty straightforward, right? And he, he who commits adultery lacks sense. And he who does it, look at this. This is the part I want you to see. He who does it destroys himself. Now, that verse is not just for men alone. That's for men and women. It's, and he who fornicates or commits adultery destroys his soul, his inner self. The world, and, uh, the world that we live in doesn't understand that. The world says this, fornication is two bodies coming together in a moment of ecstasy. But the Bible says this, it's two souls being joined as one. And it's pretty, pretty point blank. Thus, a person doing these things will only be a shell of a person as layer after layer of this inner person is stripped off with each different encounter. Talking about fornication, talking about uh, 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 sex before marriage. And that is the tragedy. Listen, that is the tragedy of sexual sin. Not an STD, not an unwanted pregnancy, but is this. Is every time that we participate in that, it is part, we are losing part of one's soul. We're losing part of us. Okay? So look at this. Verse 4 says this. So let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. So filthiness, foolish talk, and crude joking are related to fornication. If we, if we look at these verses in context, uncleanliness or coveting of verse 3, things that used to make people blush, think about this, things that used to make people blush, now most of us don't even bat an eye when we hear certain things. Some of my older generations going, mm-hmm, right? Um, and someone can say something innocent but also suggestive, right? And sometimes uh, things can be taken two ways, and some people can look at that and say, oh, that has a, a, a sexual tone to it or a suggestive message, but it could be totally innocent, right? And so the Scripture saying this, don't let foolish talk or crude joking come out of your mouth. And here's the thing. I didn't write this. Paul did. Paul did. He wrote this, and he didn't write it as legalism, but preparing our hearts. We're talking about us as a bride of Christ preparing our hearts. We need to be careful what is coming out of our mouths. Right? And so it's not legalism here, but, it's, but here's, the, here's what the Lord is doing. He, we need to make sure that as the bride of Christ that we have pure hearts and clean hands. Holiness. Right standing before the Lord. Why is that important? You are the bride of Christ. So be ready for a perfect husband, Jesus Christ. And be, it says this in 1 Peter 1.16. It's quoting Leviticus 19.2. Be holy as I am holy. But look at this. It says this. So there, here's, here's the, instead of having crude talk, instead of having... Uh, you know, uh, fornication, all these things, but this is, this is how you combat that. But instead, let there be 
What? Thanksgiving. Everyone say Thanksgiving. Instead of talking like the world, why don't you just start thanking the Lord? Why don't you start praising the Lord? Uh, whenever the conversation takes a sinful or suggestive turn, why don't you do this? Alter its course by bringing the Lord into it. Someone tells a suggestive joke, why don't you alter that by bringing the Lord into it? Well, they might think that I'm holy if I'm doing that. You know, stop them and say, hey, isn't God good? And they might be like, whoa, where did that come from? And, and let me tell you, let me tell you what he did for me. Maybe you need to stop and say, hey, look, can I tell you what God did for me? And, and, if, and here's, here's the thing. If I'm giving thanks, if I'm giving thanks to God, if my heart is giving thanks to the Lord, I can't gripe and I can't complain. Right? If I am truly giving thanks to God, I can't complain because I can't, I can't have two things coming out of my mouth at one time. It'll be one or the other. So if I find myself griping or complaining or, 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 or gesturing or telling, telling off-color jokes and all these things, that's what's pouring out of me. But when I'm giving thanks to the Lord, guess what? That keeps those things at bay in my life. And I think as the people of God, we need to learn those things. Again, look at this, verse 5, it says this. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. That is a point blank straight statement. All right, this is what I need you to do. Everyone buckle up. It's about to get a little bit turbulent, all right? We're going we're gonna to hit some rough, rough air up here, okay? And the Greek word translated here as immoral or impure is in the King James Version. If you have that, it probably says whoremonger is this. Are you ready? The Greek word is pornos. P-O-R-N-O-S. It is where we get our modern word Pornography, whoremonger, or being sexually immoral is embracing the prostituted life. What do you mean by that? This happens. Listen, this happens. Listen, we need to be careful. This happens on our phone, on the Internet, by what you read, by what you watch on TV. Paul says this, your heart tells you and your spirit confirms that if, uh, uh, it, and it confirms that if you are sexually immoral. So if you are delighted by being caught up in pornography, you are not part of the kingdom. Whew. Told you it's going to get a little bit turbulent. I know this is, this is rough, right? And here's the thing, you can attend church, you can show up every time the doors are open, but if you are involved in those things, they are your idol. You've put them before the Lord. And they are what you are living for. And Paul's simply saying this, when those things are in your life, you are not saved. Do not get mad at me, Paul wrote it, I am the messenger. Paul would say this, you know this. And, 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 and you, don't, you don't need a preacher to tell you. You don't need Pastor TJ to tell you. You don't need a friend to remind you this. In your heart, 
You already know you are a whoremonger, an unclean, an unclean person making sexual fulfillment your idol. You do not have an inheritance in the kingdom of God. Look at this. Verse 6 says this. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. And Paul comes out just swinging on this one, doesn't he? Uh, concerning uncleanness and pornography, people use empty words to say, hey, don't be so uptight. You, you Christians are a little bit too uptight about this. Don't be such a, a, a puritanical person. And, and back in Paul's day, they had these, this group, and they're around today. It's called the Gnostics. And, and those, uh, those were those with special knowledge or those who had a little bit of extra knowledge did the same thing in Paul's day. And believing themselves to be especially knowledgeable, the Gnostic essentially said, matter is evil and only the spirit is pure. Therefore, it doesn't matter what one does with his body. Man can indulge his flesh because it is on uh, it is on his it is only his spirit that matters but can i tell you something that is heresy the heresy of the gnostic there and gnosticism rears its ugly head in our day and 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 in those days and they would say god god knows you're a sexual creature. They would say this. God knows that you're a sexual creature and, and that you need to indulge your flesh, so go ahead. But Paul's saying this. Don't be deceived by people like that. You've been walking with the Lord, but you're still succumbing to the flesh of, and you're, the indulgence of your flesh. You're on some shaky ground. You're on some real shaky ground. I'm not talking about if you're tempted or if you, if you have a struggle as a person. Listen, we're all tempted. We're, we all have, have, have our flesh, and sometimes we're weak, right? But I'm talking about when you, are, you have a lifestyle of embracing one's flesh. If you cater to your flesh day after week, after month, after year, after decade, you need to take a careful look at your spiritual standing with, with the Lord. I know this is potent, right? Verse 7 says this, therefore do not come, uh, become partners with them. Paul's saying this, hey, those people that are telling you they're trying to deceive you, do not become partners with them. Don't be friends with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the world. Everyone say light in the world. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Verse 10 and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. How many want to please the Lord? I want to please the Lord in every area of my life. There's not one, one thing unturned in my life that I don't want to please the Lord with. But here's, here's the deal. Uh, um, um, Paul says this, you used to walk in darkness, but you're now... Uh, but you're now, you're proving or literally learning what is really acceptable in the sight of the Lord. How many used to walk in darkness? How many remember, remember in your life where spiritually you were in a dark place and you, you came to know Christ and the light of Christ began to reveal inside of you things that needed to come out? Right? Uh, here's the deal. Um. When I watch a movie on Netflix or at the theater or, and, and watch people indulging in their fleshly lust on screen, I am a partaker in their activity. 
quiet in here, right? Man, I didn't realize Ephesians chapter 5 was going to come out like this. If I'm supporting financially and I vote for it culturally and they keep making the same type of movies and it just subtly gets a little bit worse and worse and worse and worse, right? I'll give you an example. Uh, the first curse word in a movie was in 1929. And in 2013, The Wolves of Wall Street came out, and that, and that was a big deal in 1929 when they used the first curse word, okay? That was, that was unheard of at that time. But look at this. In 2013, The Wolves of Wall Street came out, and it uses the F word alone 506 times. So perpetually, as a society and as a culture, we keep going darker and darker and darker. And listen, we are called to be... Uh, the children of light. And light and darkness cannot mix. You either have darkness or you have light, right? And, and, and they can't be the same thing. And as long as we support those things, they'll keep making those things. Oh, man, I didn't realize this was going to be such a, such a hard hitter tonight, Pastor. But here's what Paul's saying. There's a better way. There's a better way than that. There's a better way uh, we can pray Hey, Lord, I struggle with my flesh. Anybody struggle with your flesh? Anybody ever tempted by your flesh? But the Lord, but you say this, Lord, I'm struggling with my flesh. I'm tempted by my flesh. But, Lord, I'm going uh, uh, to have uh, nothing to do with those things. Lord, I'm going to separate myself from the darkness because being part of the bride of Christ and being made whole and being made right is more important to me than mingling in the darkness. Paul says there's a better way. And this is what I've learned in my life, and maybe you haven't, but I'll tell you, learn from my mistake. Sin stinks. It has never ended well for me. Sin stinks, and oftentimes, I'm not going to justify or excuse it any longer. you got to get to this place in your life where it says, light is light, dark is dark. Lord, I'm not going to justify this anymore. I'm not going to succumb to my flesh anymore. Lord, knowing you and being your pure spotless bride is the most important thing to me. Try to, lear try to learn to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Do what's acceptable to the Lord. Walk in the light. Verse 11 says this. Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead, what's it say? Take no part in unfruitful works but of darkness, but what? Instead, expose them. When's the last time you prayed and said, Lord, expose these dark areas in my life. Help me. Help me, Lord. Help me. Um, uh, it says this, verse 12, for it is shameful even to speak of these things that they do in secret. King James Version says, reprove uh, the unfruitful works of darkness or rebuke them. But I like this, this translation here, it, its rendering of expose. It's like to point it out and say, that's bad. That's not good. As if to put light on the darkness. The light of Jesus reveals and brings the light into dark areas of our lives. So when a dirty joke or an unclean phrase is spoken... I'm not to just hold my tongue, but I am to rebuke or expose or correct. 
You ain't heard that this kind of teaching in a long, long time, have you? Time to say, hey, I know you're my friend. I know you're my office mate. I know you're my boss. I know you're my teammate. But I need to share this with you so that you can do better. So we can do better. So I can do better. Look at this verse 13. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. Um, you ever try to find something in a dark place, a garage or an attic? Anybody ever did that? Anybody ever find a, a treasure in maybe like your grandparents' attic or something, and, and you think it's the greatest thing, and then you get it out in the light, and then you realize it's just a piece of junk? Right? Anybody ever done that? Or, or maybe in your house. I don't know. Um, and you think it's of value, and then you get it in the light, and you realize, hey, it's not as good as I thought it was. Can I tell you something? Light exposes darkness, and the light of Jesus exposes sin and dark areas of our lives. Verse 14 says, for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, look at this. <laughs> I like this. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will what? Shine on you. We were once dead in our trespasses, and then the love of Christ and the mercy of Christ and the light of Christ shined on us. And when we were dead, we came to life. We rose. We began to wake. We were asleep. We were dead in our slumber. Paul saying this, wake up. Look what's happening in your lives. Don't be slumbering or saying everyone is doing that. It'll be fine. And, and, and because here's the thing. When we get into the, when we start mixing with darkness, we'll be put to sleep spiritually. What happens? I was a youth pastor, and I saw teens who um, could have turned this world upside down for the Lord. And, and many of them from our youth group did, but a lot of them are some pretty sad stories, unfortunately. And some could have made a mark for the kingdom but because they were not awake concerning what the, what the word of God says about filthiness, coarse language, off-color jokes, uncleanliness, fornication, and pornography, they've been rendered ineffective, asleep, dead. And my fear and my, my <laughs> as a minister is, is to be, and I pray this, Holy Spirit, help us to be a, a big alarm clock to wake people up out of spiritual death. Lord, just, right? So, and we don't hit the snooze button. Oh, I've got more time, Lord. Look at this, verse 15. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. So, um, if you have the King James Version, it says circumspectly, which I like. Uh, that rendering a little bit, and it means to this, when you say circumspectly, means to walk in a circle around something or to put your head on a swivel. That suggests that you look around or you be vigilant, not being blindsided, um, not being tricked. Uh, anybody ever go into a crowded area and, you know, you feel a little bit uncomfortable? You kind of got your head on a swivel, Right. In a parking lot with your kids, I, I mean, you, you're like, you're looking for cars. You're, you're looking around to see where dangers lurk. And, and Paul's saying this, look carefully of how you walk. When you're walking this spiritual walk, keep your head on a swivel. Because the enemy wants to come in and, and get you when you're not looking. I talked about that. 
uh, about the Amalekites attacking from the back. But if your head's on a swivel, you can see things that are coming into place before they actually get to you. Know your surroundings. Watch your steps. Make sure there, there is good footing. Don't walk haphazardly. You know, I've, I've learned, you know, in my life that when I'm not looking where I'm walking, when I'm not looking down, chances of me falling are a lot higher than if I'm actually looking where I'm stepping, right? Anybody attest to that? Anybody fall with grace? Ooh, uh, you know, um, some people can, can do that. But if I look where I'm walking, and my mom is one of those people, she's just a little bit clumsy, and, and she'll just trip, and then my dad, he'll just be like, Babe, you got to look down on the ground to see what's in front of you so you make sure that you're taking the right step or whatever you need to do. And so when Paul is telling us that, keep your head on a swivel and keep your eyes on where you are going. Verse 16, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. How many believe and know that we live in a dark time? Is it the darkest time in history? I say no. But I, I will tell you this, we do live in a dark time. And Paul would say this, while you're living in this dark time, make good use of your time. You know, uh, it reminds me of, I don't want to pick on him because he's not in here, but I'm going to pick on him anyways. My son Wyatt, he knows he has schoolwork that he has to get done. And he doesn't always make good use of his time. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And sometimes he procrastinates, and sometimes he waits, and then he gets frustrated when his parents are on him, and like they're like, hey, his parents, as if I'm saying, I'm talking in the third person here, uh, his parents, TJ and Tristan, are on him, and, um, and, and then he's like, and I'm like, if you would have prioritized your time, if you would have used your time in good measure, then you wouldn't be where you're at. He gets frustrated, and I get frustrated, but Paul's saying this, while you're in these dark times, redeem the time. Prioritize the, your time to good use. Paul did that. He's in jail writing here. I'm here. Might as well write and encourage some people. Like, uh, and I believe that you guys are all doing good. You're redeeming the time. You're all here tonight. You're redeeming the time. You're learning the word of God. You're equipping yourself for the dark and evil time that we live in. Verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So what is God's will? This context, verse 17 right here, it is that we walk in purity. You know what purity is? No filthy talk. Keeping my mind clean. Not watching things, not allowing junk in so junk comes out. You want to stop bad talk? Stop listening to bad talk. Means no contamination, clean, pure, holy. I don't know about you. Uh, one time, uh, my dad was a pastor, and we went to help this widower, and he was old, and he lived alone. And we went over there to help him cut some firewood. I was a teenager. My dad dropped us off. My brother was cutting wood outside. And me and my sister were helping him pick up his house and clean his house. Well, he had really bad eyesight. He couldn't see very well. He was, he was pretty old. He had hearing aids. He didn't hear well. He didn't see well. Um, but And so we're helping this guy out. Well, in the process of cleaning his kitchen, we found out 
that he was his because of his poor eyesight he was not cleaning his dishes all the way and it was gross and it was it was pretty pretty gnarly and nasty and i remember my brother came in cuz he was cutting wood outside and he came in he said i need a drink and we got a cup out of the cupboard and we filled it up with water and there was all kinds of floating particles going on in this i don't know about you but i don't like contaminated things I've been thirsty where I've, but I'm not that thirsty in my life. Paul's saying this, saying this, be holy, let the light of Jesus expose and let it purify us. And so how does that work for us practically? If you read on, uh, four things we need to pick up here are, are uh, to be a spotless bride. Look at this, verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but... Be filled with the Spirit. That's number one. Be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, the ideal here is that being drunk means you are under the influence of something or under the influence of alcohol. And we know that it leads to dark things. It leads to regrets. It's led to some bad decisions. It's led to some life-changing situations. It alters our consciousness, right? We're easily swayed by others. There's a reason that Paul would write this here. He would say this, don't, don't, be, don't be drunk with wine, but instead be what? Filled with the Spirit. And the Greek word filled here indicates that a filling is moment by moment. Not just a one-time thing, but it's a reaction. It's just over and over, like a refilling, a refilling. You know, it's like having a, a constant infinity amount of whatever your favorite soft drink is. You just get to keep filling it up, and you get to keep taking, Lord, fill us. Instead, of, it's, he says this, instead be filled with the Spirit. But Paul is this, he's commanding the believers in Ephesus, and to you and I, to be filled moment by moment by the Holy Spirit. Say, well... Pastor, talking about alcohol. So and here's the thing, and this, and I'm just, I'm just gonna say this, okay? Just so you know, alcohol, as as we know it, right? It's a spirit, right? Called a spirit. There's a reason because it can control you. And here's the thing, Paul is saying here, there is the world and the devil will always throw a counterfeit to what God has. You have the Holy Spirit, and then you have a distilled spirit. The Holy Spirit can bring me joy. Some of you say, hey, a distilled spirit can bring me joy. A distilled spirit can also make you angry. The Holy Spirit don't work like that. And there's this counterfeit, and the counterfeit, this is what happens. When we fall for the world's counterfeit, we are always left empty, and stranded and spiritually empty and it's and we feel like that we have nothing and 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 Paul is just simply saying this don't fall for the counterfeit that will leave you empty he's saying this be filled with the holy spirit so forget the distilled spirits drink dynamically from the holy spirit i've heard people say this well i do it because you know, I need to de-stress after I get home. 
counterfeit for the Holy Spirit. I know this is I know this is pointed, this is straight, but listen, the Lord is looking for a pure and spotless bride. I don't know about you. I don't think there's anybody in here who would want to marry a bride or marry a man that wasn't true to their word. If Tristan would have if I would have gotten engaged to Tristan and she would have been out, you know, dating other men in the process, I'd have been like, no way we're getting married. Right? Because I have a standard, and I don't want that in my life. But see, and, and, but spiritually, sometimes we, we forget about that. I know we're, we are in the world. We're not to be of the world, but we're in this world. But listen, the counterfeit never satisfies. It never satisfies. Matter of fact, try the Holy Spirit sometime. I promise you, you'll never wake up with a hangover. And you'll never wake up going, man, I regret that. I have still yet in my life to be on someone's deathbed that has known Christ their whole life and been filled with the Holy Spirit go, well, I wish I hadn't done that my whole life. But you know what? I have counseled people and then they're like, just keep turning to this drink over and over and I don't know why I do it. Paul's saying this, be filled with the Spirit. Verse 19, I like this part, addressing one another. And it's interesting, the King James Version actually says, speaking to yourself. Anybody speak to yourself? Do you answer yourself? That's the important thing, right? You speak to yourself, but do you answer yourself? Uh, you ever talk to yourself in the car when you're by yourself? When you go to a stoplight, someone's looking at you and you realize you're talking to yourself? You just act like you're on your phone. My Bluetooth's on, right? Um, but the King James Version says, speaking to yourself, and this is what I've learned. When I address others and encourage others, guess what? I'm also hearing what I'm telling someone else. I'm encouraging them. And God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. When I encourage someone else, guess who else I'm encouraging? Unless my ears aren't clean. I'm encouraging myself. And, and what I say matters. Talk to yourself. Everyone say, talk to yourself. David did. David did in the Bible. He talked to himself a lot. Look at this. Uh, he said this in Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul. He also said this, Psalm 43, 5, why are you cast down, O my soul? He's talking to my, himself. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. He's telling himself, hope in God, David. And, and for I shall Again, praise him, my salvation and my God. Look at this. He says this. Uh, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making a melody to the Lord with your heart. Verse 20. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when things aren't going well, when I'm tempted, when I lose heart, when, I, when, when it happens, the only thing I can do is speak to myself and others in hymns and spiritual songs and singing and making a melody within my heart. Kids used to sing this song, and, and they learned it from one of their uh, Kids churches at one of the churches I served at, and it was make a melody in my heart. If my kids were in here, they could sing. I don't know it all the way, but I remember that specific line, and it's taken right here out of this scripture. 
Number two, here's the, the first thing was be not drunk with wine. Here's the second thing uh, is this, sing hymns, songs, and making a melody in your heart. There's a, there's a great text in, in 1 Samuel, verse 30, verse 6. It says this, David was depressed and down, and I don't have time to go into the whole story, but it says he encouraged himself in the Lord. When's the last time you encouraged yourself in the Lord? He did it all by himself. He encouraged himself in the Lord. He sang songs. He wrote psalms. And as a result, look at this. As a result, when he did those things, he encouraged himself. As a result, he encouraged all the men around him, and they went and won a great battle. Number three, right here. It says it in verse 20, give thanks always. Everyone say, thanks, Lord. A thankful heart is a grateful heart. I said this earlier, when I'm busy giving thanks, I can't complain or grumble about my situation. Think about this, Paul and Silas in the book of Acts, I think it's the 16th chapter. There they are in prison. They begin to sing to the Lord. They begin to give thanks to the Lord. And what does the Lord do? He changes their situation. You're down and out. You're struggling. You feel like you're in a prison. I want to encourage you. Start singing to the Lord. Start thanking the Lord. Start changing your attitude. Start encouraging yourself. Look at this. Remember, I, I talked about us being a bride, but listen, we, 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 are, we are the bride of Christ, and we're like Esther. You know what Esther did for a year before she was with the king? She spent a year bathing and prepping herself to be with the king for one night. Think about that. That time period was there, so they would know that, that she was not with anyone else. And that way, if she had a child, they would know it was the king's child. And she prepped herself. She got herself ready. And I believe as the church, we've got to get ourselves ready. We've got to open up our mouth and start being thankful for what the Lord's doing. We ought to start singing the praises to God that he deserves. We ought to start living a life that's above reproach. Look at this. Verse 21 says this. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Ooh, that's, that may be the hardest verse of all of uh, this whole thing. Submitting to one another of reverence is number four. Submitting to one another of reverence for Christ. Look at this. Walking in harmony in our marriage is based on on upon the uh, this key component of submission. We're going to get into this here in a minute, but I, I want to share something. Any, anybody musically inclined in here? Uh, unity? Okay, good. All right. I, I may call on you for a question here in a minute. Uh, unity can be can be under uh, misunderstood as unison, right? Uh, in music, when we say, hey, we're singing unison, everybody's singing the same thing, the same lead, the same place, all together, right? Uh, but, but here's the thing. Uh, in our lives, as we walk with Christ, we're not always, we're not just robots walking all the same way perfectly, okay? We're all going the same direction. But here, here's the difference between when we sing unison, which would be the lead, or when you add harmony, which means that you have in harmony, you know, you have multiple parts, and they're all going the same direction. They're all in line. They're all working for a purpose. How many have ever heard beautiful harmonies? Yes, I love to hear harmonies. I love to hear harmonies when people, and they're all going the same direction to, cre to create something. 
submitting to one another, that, that is that harmony within the body of Christ. We are submitting to you, and, and you're submitting to them. You're, you're submitting to your spouse, and they're submitting to you. And the Bible talks about marriage in a simply profound way that is profoundly simple, and it's a very easy thing to follow. Can I tell you something? You don't need countless books, and books are good. You don't need countless seminars, and seminars are good, or self-helps dealing with your marriage. Those are all good things. Can I tell you the Word of God spells out simply and precisely how it works? Okay, we're going to jump into this real fast. I'm going to give you a real recap. Here's the first, the four things. Be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Number two, singing hymns and making a melody with your heart. Number three, giving thanks always. Number four, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And and the last one, remember uh, remember these verses, or remember this verse for the next one. This The verse that I want you to remember is this. Everyone repeat this. Verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Okay, I want you to remember that, everyone. Everyone, hit save on your on your computer. I see some of your RAM is is going. Some of you need to update your RAM a little bit. All right, that's a little little joke, little computer joke. All right. Um, here's the second second. If you need a subset in here, wives and husbands. Everyone say wives and husbands. Oh, here we go. Oh, we're getting into some contested verses here, right? Everyone likes to quote this verse. All the men, all the men in the house, all the all the husbands in the house, get ready. All the all the wives in the house, get ready. Verse twenty-two. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. All right, we're done for the night. No, uh, no, 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 no. Um, since the Garden of Eden. Males have been missing something. When Adam went to sleep, God took one of his ribs, right? And from his side, he fashioned a woman. Uh, and I love, I love the marriage ceremony that says that you know God took a rib from Adam. He didn't take it from his foot so he would be over the woman. He didn't take it from his head so she would be over him. But he took it at an equal part, side by side, that they would be together. Um, so... Uh, some of you, uh, so, so God fashioned a woman out of Adam's rib and, and made out of Adam, part of himself, made a woman who is the completer of a man. It, it's, it's just what it is. And some of you wives say, well, why doesn't, why doesn't my husband communicate freely? Why doesn't he feel things more deeply? Don't shake your head, Tristan. And, and, and I believe, I believe, okay, this all stems from the fact he's missing part of, of what he is, is in the woman. He's missing the part that was given to the wife. Now, me and my wife, we have, we have two different philosophies. She thinks like a woman and I think like a man. She's sensitive. I'm mean. Right? No, I'm not mean. But, but you, you understand what I'm saying there. You know, sometimes she'll say, hey, can you be a little bit, I, I, I'm backing you 100% on getting on to the kids, but can you just do it with just a little bit more love? Any of, you, any of your husbands and dads know what I'm talking about? You've been there, right? Well, you say this. Well, if he's missing something, yet I still want to communicate. You, you wife say this. If he's missing something, yet I still want to communicate, what do I do? So Adam lost something 
right? The original Adam lost something, but the second Adam, which is Jesus Christ, he completed something. He is the epitome of strength. Jesus Christ is the epitome of strength, and he's the, he's the essence of tenderness. Jesus is a lot of things. As a matter of fact, Scripture calls him a, a, a bullock or a bull. It talks about Jesus being a bullock, but it also talks about Jesus being a red, a red heifer. I, I forget the Scripture reference off the top of my head, but I know they're there, okay? Just trust me on this. So it, it talks about Jesus being both of these things. For all you non-agricultural people, that's a male and a female cow. I say this. Dear sisters, as long as you look to your husband to fill your deepest needs, you'll be frustrated perpetually because you'll put pressure on him. But if you, but it's only Jesus Christ that will, that you'll find true fulfillment, right? Talking to Jesus, why don't you talk to him? Learn from him, walk with him, and this is what I know. Jesus can satisfy like your husband can't. You know why I know that? Because Jesus can satisfy me like my wife can't. I understand that in my own life. And the last Adam, Jesus, the perfect one, Jesus Christ, when you seek the Lord in daily devotion with him, tap into what the Lord has for you. Push, push, and, 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 and ask the Lord, Lord, help me to be the wife that you want me to be. Help me to be the best wife for my husband that I can be. Wives, continue to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, with all your mind, strength, as many of you did before you were married. How many knew the Lord before you got married? No one in here? Anyone knew Jesus? All right. Well, how about my women? How many of my women knew the Lord before you got married? All right. So you had a relationship with, many of you had a relationship with Jesus before you got married, so keep the main thing the main thing. For it is in him you'll find the answer to the cry of your heart. Verse 23, for the husband is the head and the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now verse 24, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything in, uh, to their husbands. All the men are like, I like this. I like this. I'm going to put this on the fridge. If you're a Christian wife, you are to submit to your husband, even as you would submit to the Lord. You say, oh, all right, here we go. And I can already tell you, society says, you know, let society say what it's going to say. Can I tell you something? God's word has stood for the test of time, and it's still going to stand. For whenever a wife, listen, listen to me, and here's why. This is why, listen, wives, this is why you should do this. Whenever a wife chooses to be submitted to her husband, her marriage is on the way to becoming a blessed union. How many want God's blessing on your marriage? Wives, God be submissive. Does that mean that? That you have to, you have to, you can't stand your ground. No, that does not mean that. that you, you are, listen, go back to what was verse 21. Verse 21 says, it says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So, w wife, while you're submitting to your, to your husband, guess what? He is simultaneously supposed to be submitting to you. interesting right 
Husbands, in turn, must never forget that as, a, as is a command in verse 21, they are to submit to their wives. So wives, next time your husband says, well, verse 22 says, you know, their husband says, verse 20, Ephesians 5, 22 says that you're to submit to me. Say, oh, what does verse 21 say? Right? So, so look at this. So how does this work practically? I think the best way to look at this is that there's a New Testament uh, example, or actually it's a, a great model marriage, but it's actually from the Old Testament, if that makes any sense. So it, they make reference to it in the New Testament, but it's an Old Testament story, and that's Abraham and Sarah. And at age 76, after receiving the promise of God, uh, they would have a child. Sarah told Abraham, we know the story, uh, we aren't getting any younger, so let's help the Lord out. How many know that when you help the Lord out, you always mess up? And she says this, you can sleep with my handmaid, Hagar, and the child uh, produced will count as ours. And Abraham, guess what? Listen to this. Look, what did Abraham do? He hearkened. The scripture says in Genesis 16, 2, says, Abraham hearkened unto the voice of his wife. What does that mean? He submitted to his wife. I'm going to show you something here. Look at this. Going on here 13 years later. Isaac is born, and then he's weaned, and Sarah says this. This tent's not big enough for Isaac and Ishmael. There's, I don't like this, Abraham, so Ishmael must go with Hagar. And she says, Abraham, tell them to go. And what does Abraham said? Genesis 21, 12, he says, no way. No way, no way, not going to do it. But God would say this in Genesis 21, 12, he would say this, listen to the voice of of your wife, Abraham. You catch that? You know what that is? That, that submission. Now look, I, I know, I know, that, that's a unique story. Interestingly, when Sarah told him to have relations with Hagar, Abraham submitted to his wife. Oh, how convenient for Abraham there, right? But Abraham, uh, he, uh, but when he, she told him to deal with Ishmael, he said no. In doing so, he listened to his wife on something contrary to God's way, but ignored Sarah's voice when it was the will of God. That means as a husband, I am held uh, responsible for the direction of my family, and I must not be uh, uh, a dictator in my behavior toward them. Guys, there's times where you need to listen to your wife and you need to submit to what she's saying. I've learned that. Let me tell you something. Because there's something about my wife. She has a sweeter tone than I do at times. Sometimes, as a father, I need to have that same sweet tone. Sometimes I miss that. She says, hey, TJ, I think you're just being a little bit too hard on them. I have to step back and go, you're right. And so scripture tells us that. So uh, I, I, here's another thing, guys. Husbands, God can speak to your wife just like he can speak to you. Therefore, if, if uh, it is a wise husband who says, baby, I want to hear what your heart, you should call your wife baby. That's what I would say. Baby, I want to hear your heart. I want to hear what the Lord's saying to you. I want to hear what the Word of God is, is telling you. So, and I know, uh, as, the, as, the, as the head of the household, I'm the one that's ultimately responsible. 
But instead of being a dictator to my wife, I'm humbled by Ephesians 5.22 that I'm held accountable for my family. Look at this, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. Uh, being inspired by the Holy Spirit, Paul would write God's clear instructions, plan and command for husbands concerning their wives. Husbands, love your wives. How do we do this? Read on. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So husbands, how should you love your wife? Just as Jesus loves you, just as Jesus loves the church. How much does Jesus love you? He said you're willing to die for. Husbands, guess what? You ought to be willing to die for your wives. To the same degree. Look at this. Uh, uh, here's two things. I want to I want just first of all, Jesus loved sacrificially, right? He's our ultimate ultimate guy, guys. He's our ultimate guy. Jesus uh, he loved the church sacrificially. That's number one. In the Garden of Eden, the first Adam part, parted with the bone. On the hill called Calvary, the last Adam, Jesus Christ, poured out his blood. Sacrifice. He, he poured it out. Look at this. At creation, Adam gave something of himself. And on the cross, Jesus gave all of himself. Not just part, but everything. This means that if I am to love my wife as Christ loved the church, I'll love her to the point where I die to my own wishes. Woo! That's tough. That's a lot to chew on. Sometimes an owl will just say, babe, I will eat at the restaurant you want to because your wishes are just as important as mine. I see wives looking at their husbands right now. In other words, we got to be like Jesus. I'll love my wife to death. Secondly, Jesus loves the church unconditionally. <laughs> Husbands, you ought to love your wife unconditionally. In all times, in all walks of life. Jesus doesn't only love us when we are good, right? When we're good boys and girls. Oh, look, you got, no, that's not how Jesus works. He loves us unconditionally, no matter what's going on in our lives. He doesn't just love us when we tithe and when we do morning devotion. He loves us, period. And, and I am to love my wife in the same manner. I'm to love her only when she, I'm not to just love her only when she makes a good meal, or laughs at my crazy jokes, or pleases me or gives me the remote for the night. There are miracles, right? But I am to love her, period. And, and I believe Listen, listen, and, and maybe you might come up here and say, well, you're wrong, Pastor. But I believe there isn't a woman on the face of the earth who would have difficulty submitting to a man who loves her the way that Christ loves the church. Sacrificially. What was the other one? Unconditionally. I knew it was there. It was just wasn't coming out. And here's the thing. Submit, submission is never a problem when a man loves his wife as Christ loves the church. And loves sacrificially and unconditionally. Verse 26. I'm going to try to cruise through these. Is it all right if I finish these? I'll, 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 I'll do my best. Uh, if not, just take it out of my time next week, all right? Verse 26 says this, uh, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present to the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without Blemish. The bride of Christ, what does Jesus do for us? 
He washes us with the water of the word. He irons out the wrinkles. He takes away the blemishes. And I'm talking about Botox, all right? When Jesus does this, he's saying, I know my bride, and I know, I know she's not perfect, but I, I'm going to work on her that she might be sanctified and made beautiful, washed by the water of the word. 1 Corinthians 11.7 says this, tell us the woman, uh, tells us that the woman is the glory of the man. Everyone say glory. And glory means this, the Greek word there means this, she is the reflection of the man. Man, husband, if you don't like your wife, you're seeing a reflection of yourself. It's a reflection of you. And, I, I, and, and if I'm seeing a reflection of my, uh, my own failures at times, and sometimes we, we say, I don't like the way she's acting. Well, it's probably because she's reflecting your, the way that you're acting. You may say, I, I, I don't like my wife, though. Uh, when was the last time you washed her with the water of the word? Or when, when was the last time that you opened the Bible with her or you prayed with your wife? Well, some of you say, well, I don't like my wife. I'm just going to find another one. Well, guess what? You'll find another one, and you'll have one with the same reflection. And just as Jesus came to be a servant, look at this. Just as Jesus came to be a servant, husbands, you too are to be a servant of your wife. Verse 28, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. According to Paul, the best thing you can do for yourself, husband, is to love your wife. Loving your wife is better for you than playing golf, riding your bike, fishing, hunting, working out, whatever, fill in the blank. And you say, well, I don't know about that. Love is a verb. Love is a verb. It's an action. It's not a feeling. It's an action. It's something that we have to do. Uh, it's something we choose to do. And I can tell you this. In my own experience, when I go the extra mile for my wife, it always pays in dividends. When I love on my wife, when, when, I, when I sacrifice or maybe do something that necessarily I don't want to do for my wife, but I do it, guess what? It always comes back. Sometimes kisses me in the mouth. That's not just a, a figure of speech. That's a le legit thing sometimes. Verse 29. For no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it uh, just as Christ does the, the church because we are members of his body. Um, contrary to what society says, the Bible declares that we don't have to be taught to love ourselves. We already do. If we're honest, there are times where we may be disappointed in ourselves and wish we were better, but uh, that's only because we want us to be the best that we can be, right? So we love ourselves. Verse 31, we're almost done. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. I like this. The King James, I think, says leave and cleave. I like that. Leave and cleave. Um, to be successful in marriage, you must leave everyone else and devote your attention to your spouse. I've seen marriages try to exist where a mother-in-law was involved in, like, 
you know, and like a, a, a daughter who loves her mom and the mom tries to be a little bit overbearing and it never ends well or, or a mother-in-law for a, for a son and she don't want to let her son go and then there's this issue between the wife and the mother-in-law, right? And, but the Bible just tells us plain and simple, you have to leave and cleave. So to be successful, you have to leave everyone else behind and hold to your spouse. I, I remember the first time we got married, me and Tristan, well, the first time, the only time we got married. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. Uh, when we got married, I remember when we first were together, the first year that we lived together, and Tristan's parents were great because they gave us our space. My parents lived 1,500 miles away, so we had a lot of this. But we had that time where we became one, where we grew together as a couple, where we became a family. We made our own decisions, and we some of them good, some of them bad. We made our own uh, uh, experiences at Christmas. We did what we wanted to do, and we became one. We became one as a couple, and she not only... Uh, uh, my wife, but Tristan is my best friend, too. She is. There's nobody in this world, nobody in this world that knows me like Tristan knows me. My best friend in high school doesn't know me like Tristan knows me. My mom and dad don't know me like Tristan knows me. That's the leave and cleave. You know why? And, and we say this all the time. Me and Tristan look at each other just randomly like, you're my best friend. We laughed together. We cried together. We not fought, but, you know, felt like it, but we didn't, you know, right? Um, but she knows me better than him. And that's the way that God designed it. Cleave to your wife and you'll love her. Verse 32. The mystery, uh, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So Spall, Spall, Paul spoke of a mystery that is bigger than the me uh, mechanics of marriage. And I talked about this mystery a little bit last week. Uh, the mystery is that Jesus Christ wants to be one with you. He wants to communicate with you. He wants to walk with you. He wants to walk in the rain with you. He wants to, to go to the lake with you. And all the men that like to fish say, amen. Right? He loves you and wants to you to love him. So marriage, see, when we compare this to marriage, we it will teach you for uh, from it is an illustration of what you should be doing with the Lord and for the Lord and in the spirit. It also is a litmus test for my marriage. Does my marriage look like the way that Christ loves the church and the church loves Jesus? And the mystery is a sacred secret revealed uh, is that a Christian marriage parallels the union that exists spiritually between Christ and his bride. So, so I want you to do this real fast. I, I know we're running out of time fast here. S stop for a minute. Close your eyes. And I want you to take inventory. If you're married, if you're married in the building, take inventory for me right now. If not, just pretend that you're taking inventory, all right? If you're married, uh, does my marriage look like Christ and the church? And if it doesn't, there's work to be done. Verse 33, finishing up here. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And these words are intentional here. Notice it doesn't say, hey, husbands, 
uh, love your wife, wife, love your husband. These words are not interchangeable. They're, they're written for a reason. It says this, let each of you love his wife as himself. The man is to love his wife, and the wife is to what? Respect her husband. Two different things there. That's interesting. You can buzz right through there. And at the marriage conference, um, and, and if you didn't go, you should have went. Maybe next time we'll do that. But my, my, my brother, he came and spoke, but he did a good job talking about the differences, why, why men should love your wives and why women should respect your husband. A husband, your wife wants to be loved. It's in her nature. She wants to be adored. She wants to be nurtured. She wants to be cared for. Wives, your husband wants to be respected, not disrespected. He wants to be trusted with authority. Look at this. I'll end with this story. After celebrating her 75th wedding anniversary, someone asked a lady the secret of her and her husband's success. And she said this, on my wedding day, I, in, I intended on writing down a list of things in which I would forgive my husband. And I never got around to do it. So over the years, when he would do something that would make me hopping mad, I would just tell myself it's a good thing for him that, that what he did was on my list. And I'll end with this. Husbands, uh, honor your uh, women or wives, honor your husbands. And husbands, love your wives. That's the way it works. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for your word. God, I know there was a lot in this chapter, God. We covered a lot of ground. Um, God, there's a lot of things that are applicable to marriage. God, there's a lot of things that are applicable to uh, our spiritual walk with you. God, I ask, Lord, that as the people of God, we would be the bride of Christ that you've called us to be. God, help us to be pure and spotless in the way we walk, the way we talk, the way we do things. God, God, let our minds be on you and you alone. God, I ask, Lord, that we wouldn't be swayed by darkness, Lord, but, Lord, that we would be in the light, God. And things that maybe are in our lives that need to be revealed in the light, God, I pray, Lord, that you would send the light to reveal those things, God. Help us to get those things out of our life. God, as we uh, pursue this process of, of sanctification, God, day by day, Lord, we, we, we get a little bit closer. God, I pray, Lord, that your spirit, Lord, would help us in that. God, I pray for the marriages in this house. God, our example is Jesus Christ loving the church. And I pray for the husbands, Lord, that they would love their wives unconditionally, sacrificially, God, like you love your church. God, I pray for the wives, God. God, I pray, Lord, that you would give them a heart, Lord, to submit and to serve, Lord, and to, and to uh, bless. God, I pray, Lord, for both of them, husband and wife, God, help us to submit to each other. God, we are a team. We're not enemies. God, we are a team. God, we're in this together. God, and I know, Lord, that when we put our trust in you in, in our marriages, God, when we put our trust in you, Jesus Christ, there's, there is a majority. God, and I pray, Lord, that you would lead and guide us. God, help us this week. Keep us safe from all harm. Go with us to the next appointed time. Lord, we, we just give you praise and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen.